Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary. Each week on the podcast, we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership and what it means to give guidance to a church or ministry organization today. About a year ago, I was appointed by Dr. Steve Gaines, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, to a national task force on evangelism. And the task force has met several times over the past several months, and in, a, in about a month at the Southern Baptist Convention in June, we're going to be bringing a report that talks about uh, some things that uh, our churches and denomination can do to really uh, regain or resharpen our focus on personal evangelism. So this week and next week on the podcast, I want to continue that theme and talk about what it means as a Christian leader to be an example of sharing your faith. Uh, this can be more challenging than, uh, than you might think because the busier you get in Christian leadership and Christian ministry responsibility, sometimes the harder it is to stay connected to people who do not yet know Christ or to stay connected to non-Christians. But that has to be resisted and overcome. And so every Christian leader must take responsibility for continuing to share their faith and for being an active witness of the gospel. Now, over the years, I've uh, done this fairly consistently and uh, trained lots of other people to do it. And so today I want to talk about uh, one of the most uh, interesting aspects of sharing your faith and learning to share your faith or practicing sharing your faith, and that is the issue of barriers to communicating the gospel. Now, a misunderstanding that a lot of people have is that the barriers to communicating the gospel are primarily uh, created by non-Christians. And after almost 40 years of sharing my faith, I can tell you that is simply not true. Uh, most of the barriers to sharing the gospel are created by Christians. Uh, you know, you can go all the way back to the New Testament and see this. Jesus, uh, when he came sharing the gospel and talking about his kingdom that was dawning and, 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 and helping people understand uh, what his life and death and resurrection would mean, faced his most strident opposition from religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, people who should have been the most spiritually aware were actually the most spiritually resistant. And so all the way back to the New Testament, we see this pattern. Religious people create barriers to the gospel being communicated and the kingdom being expanded. So I've thought a lot about this over the years and tried to categorize what are some of the kinds of barriers that we create and I want to list some of them and talk about them and maybe illustrate them for you on these podcasts. Now, the first barrier that we create to sharing the gospel is what I call redefining witnessing. Redefining witnessing. Now, the, this redefinition means that witnessing is defined as, a, as living a good life and allowing your example to be your witness. Now, there's no question your example is part of your witness of the gospel, but it is not the sum total of your witness. And sometimes this definition of witnessing is popularized by sayings like, you may be the only Jesus another person ever sees, or you may be the only Bible <clears throat> your friend ever reads. Well, these sentiments may motivate you to live out your Christian faith and to uh, demonstrate the validity or the legitimacy of what you believe, uh, they are not accurate statements describing an effective witnessing methodology. Now get this, no person, no person, not even Jesus, has ever lived a life that spontaneously communicated the gospel. 
Remember, Jesus came as the Word. You can find that in John chapter 1. He came as the Word, not as the example. And Jesus came not only living, but speaking the gospel. So if Jesus had to verbally tell his story, despite living a perfect life among unbelievers, how can you realistically expect to communicate the gospel effectively uh, by simply living a godly example? It's, it, it can't be done. Now, lifestyle evangelism <clears throat> is important, but understanding a good definition of lifestyle evangelism makes it, uh, makes it significant. Lifestyle evangelism isn't about living in such a way the gospel is communicated as others observe your behavior. Lifestyle evangelism is living in such a way that your verbal witness has credibility when you share it. Now think of this distinction. Lifestyle evangelism is not living in such a way that others observe your life and fully understand the gospel. No, lifestyle evangelism is living in such a way that your lifestyle supports your verbal witness, and your verbal witness has credibility when you share it. In short, you might say it this way. Lifestyle evangelism is when your walk with Jesus matches your talk about Jesus. Lifestyle evangelism is not when your walk, about, uh, when your walk with Jesus uh, invalidates or overwhelms or makes irrelevant your talk about Jesus. So it's very important that we define witnessing appropriately. It's important to understand that witnessing includes a verbal presentation of the gospel. Now, there is, again, no question that how you live matters. Uh, people see your life, they, and it gains credibility with them, and it makes it possible for you to have a legitimacy and to have authority and to have a real relevance when you speak the gospel to someone. But it's the height of spiritual arrogance to claim that you're simply going to live your life and people are going to see you and spontaneously understand the gospel and commit themselves to Jesus Christ. I again underscore this reality. Not even Jesus, not even Jesus did that. He came living a perfect life, no question about that. He lived a perfect life among unbelievers. They observed him in every kind of situation and circumstance, and yet he still had to speak. He was still the word. He still had to communicate the essence of the gospel message to them. So it's very important that you understand that witnessing includes sharing some basic truths about the gospel. Those include things like sharing the gospel includes the God's love, uh, human, humankind or humanity's sin, uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and every person's opportunity and responsibility to respond uh, in the grace of God, certainly, but by placing their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So don't redefine witnessing in such a way that it becomes a barrier to sharing the gospel. Well, here's another barrier. Uh, the second one is tolerance undermines persuasion. Now, the word tolerance is a very important word in our culture these days. But tolerance has also been redefined over the last few decades so that it means something entirely different than it did uh, in a previous generation. Tolerance once meant that you honored another person's opinion while patiently trying to persuade them to change their mind. Tolerance meant 
that you communicated honor and value and respect to another person, even if you disagreed with them profoundly, and that you then tried to persuade them to come over to your opinion or your perspective or your understanding of truth uh, by every legitimate means. But that's not how tolerance is defined today. Today, tolerance means that you affirm your, uh, your friend's position or another person's position as equally valid or equally true with your position. So tolerance now means more than honor and respect and deference paid to another person. Tolerance means that we now say your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and all truth, no matter how we perceive it or how we come to it, is equal. Well, that simply cannot be right. There's truth and there's error, and there's a clear distinction between the two. And in our world today, uh, that distinction has largely been lost, so that in every category of life, whether it's moral ethics, whether it's sexual ethics, whether it's definition of marriage, um, in all of these different categories now, whatever a person claims to be true, whatever is true for them, uh, is ultimate truth. We see this most radically expressed in the redefinition of gender in our culture, where if a person simply claims that they're a man or a woman, uh, they can enter a sporting event, they can enter a restroom, they can sign up for a program in a school. Uh, no matter what is offered, if they identify a certain way, that becomes their truth and they can sign up for that. So this redefinition of, uh, or this definition of tolerance that's changed over the years uh, undermines our capacity for witnessing because it takes away something that's very important in witnessing, and that is the, per the responsibility for persuasion. The Bible says we persuade men, uh, we persuade women, we persuade people to come to understand the gospel. We, we are passionate advocates for the truth of the gospel, and witnessing is more than just laying out some cold, hard facts. It's persuading a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, um, there's a couple of corollaries to this. First, persuasion doesn't mean manipulation or being mean-spirited or being... Uh, are being uh, are browbeating a person into a su supposed decision for Jesus Christ? No. Persuasion means that with love and compassion, with honesty and integrity, uh, with high value on the other person and respect for who they are, uh, and really deference to them uh, individually, that we try to persuade them to understand the truth of the gospel and come to commit themselves fully to Jesus Christ. Now, another aspect of this that often is difficult for Christians is the, the issue of being judgmental. Sometimes people say to me, well, um, if you try to persuade a person to change their mind, or if you tell a person that the way they're living is not right, or you tell a person that a certain kind of behavior is sinful, isn't that being judgmental? And after all, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged. And so this idea of not being judgmental spills over into um, the, the issue of witnessing or sharing your faith and makes you very reluctant because part of sharing your faith and part of persuading people to follow Jesus is confronting them uh, with the reality of their sin and the fact that they're in rebellion toward God and the fact that they're headed for an eternal destiny that's separated from God forever. So what is this about being judgmental and, and how does that connect to what we're talking about? Well, first of all, being judgmental as defined by Jesus, it is not the same thing that most people mean today when they say, don't be judgmental. When Jesus said, don't be judgmental, he was saying, don't hold people to a standard you aren't willing to meet yourself. 
or don't criticize people for their lifestyle choices on non-essential matters. In other words, Jesus was saying, don't hold people to a higher standard than you hold yourself, and don't hold people to a legalistic standard about things that don't really make that much difference or, in fact, don't really matter at all. Jesus never modeled the kind of non-judgmentalism that some people uh, that some people promote today. Jesus, on many occasions, uh, confronted people about their sin and dealt with them very directly about ways they were living that were inappropriate and had to be turned had to be re- uh, turned away from or repented of in order to follow him. You know, one good example of this is in John chapter four. It's the story of the woman at the well. You know, when Jesus uh, met this woman and initiated a conversation with her, it didn't take long before he confronted her for her immoral lifestyle. He said, you've had many husbands, and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. Jesus was very judgmental, if you want to say it that way, very confrontive. Um, He laid it out for her. You're living an immoral lifestyle. Now, she tried to redirect the conversation by bringing up a non-essential issue, which was place or style of worship. She said, oh, I know, but your people worship in one place and my people worship in another place. And what's the really true way of worship, Jesus? But Jesus was not going to be put off by that question. He kept the focus on the woman's real need, which was a relationship with God that would satisfy her deepest needs and eliminate this longing that she had that was expressing herself in a series of immoral relationships. Jesus talked to her about living water, about finding something that would satisfy deep down inside, something that would quench the the thirst that she had, which she was trying to quench by these immoral relationships. Well, Jesus confronted the woman at the well in such a way that he touched her deeply and profoundly. So when it comes to this issue of tolerance, undermining persuasion, let's understand that the current cultural definition of tolerance is not really the appropriate or best definition. Tolerance is not about owning everyone's truth and making it equal, no matter what they call truth. Tolerance is about respecting, honoring, and deferring to another person and demonstrating compassion and gentleness with them while you try to persuade them to understand the truth of the gospel and come to a commitment to Jesus. And tolerance is... Not about avoiding uh, calling right and wrong, or calling out what's right and wrong, or pointing out to people how they're in sin or how they're away from God. Sure, Jesus did say, "Don't be judgmental." But what he meant was, don't hold people to a standard you're not willing to hold yourself, and don't uh, be legalistic about non-essential issues. Jesus modeled uh, very clearly for us with, in dealing with the woman at the well and countless other enc- encounters in the Bible. Jesus modeled for us speaking the truth and helping people to understand their true relationship with God and the sin that's keeping them from God and the deep longings and needs in their lives that are prompting this inappropriate behavior and how that only Jesus can satisfy. So a second barrier uh, that we have to be sure we don't allow to keep us from sharing the gospel is tolerance that undermines persuasion. Well, here's another one. Another barrier that Christians create to sharing the gospel is overcomplicating sharing the gospel. Now, I was amused once when a missionary told me that one African language, the word for American is the same word that they translate one who makes things too complicated. Um, In in America, we like to make things really complicated. And in fact, uh, in in American Christianity, we specialize at this. 
Um, everything requires a, a class or a notebook or a study course. Everything requires extensive preparation and development, and everything, everything is just too complicated. And we can fall over into the trap of making things way too complicated when it comes to sharing our faith. Now, my daughter is a really good evangelistic young woman. She's kind of amazing, honestly, to me. She's been an inspiration to me since she was a teenager because of the way she shares her faith. Uh, she recently, just a few days ago, uh, led a person to faith in Christ, a, a young woman, uh, early 30s, uh, that she had met in her community. Um, and when we were talking with Melody about it, she was just narrating kind of how their relationship developed and um, and how the witness uh, transpired over several meetings, and, and then finally how the woman came to place faith in Jesus. And Melody, uh, unsolicited by me, made this comment. She said, you know, sharing your faith is just not that complicated. I don't know why more Christians don't do it. It's so rewarding. It's so fun. It's so meaningful. And it's so spiritually fulfilling, you know, to see a person place their faith in Jesus. So why is it that, that Christians... Um, overcomplicate sharing our faith? Well, there's at least a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, we overcomplicate it because we think of sharing our faith as an event rather than a process. Uh, we think of it as, as being something that has to be uh, sort of a specialized, set-apart experience rather than an ongoing experience with a person in life. Now, when my daughter shared her faith with this woman, she did not do it in a crisis moment or in a particular moment. She did it over a few weeks of time in in multiple conversations where questions came up about God or the gospel or about life and, uh, and how that my daughter related her relationship with God to that aspect of life. This particular woman, um, they, my daughter first met her at a community event, and they just simply struck up a conversation. And that conversation turned into a second conversation, which turned into an invitation to a church event or to a Bible study, which then turned into some more conversations. And over time, uh, this, over a few weeks of time, this woman just, through conversation about the gospel, uh, became more and more and more open and more and more and more interested in hearing uh, how Jesus Christ had come into her life. So uh, one reason that we overcomplicate sharing the gospel is we try to make it an event. You know, it's, it's a crisis moment. It's, it's an event that you have to plan for and prepare for and work up to, and it's something that you do on a visitation night or something that you, you have to do where there's going to be a lot of tension or a lot of difficulty or, 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 or in some ways there's going to, a person's going to feel singled out. And really, that doesn't have to be the case at all. Uh, sharing the gospel uh, can be as simple as carrying on a conversation with someone um, over a period of days or weeks in which you communicate the gospel, you share it with them naturally, you talk about how the gospel connects with you and your life, and that person then comes to understand their need for Jesus Christ. You know, I wrote a book called Unscripted, and uh, I chose that title carefully because I, I wanted to help people understand that sharing the gospel is not about you know, memorizing a presentation or, or making a speech. Really, it's about unscripted conversations where you simply dialogue with someone about Jesus Christ with the goal of sharing the gospel with them and helping them place their faith in Him. Another aspect of this, though, is not just that we make it an event rather than a process, but another aspect of overcomplicating the sharing the gospel is that um, Christians often think that Non-Christians are going to ask them a lot of really difficult, tough theological questions that they won't be able to answer when it comes to understanding the gospel. Now, let me, let me underscore, let me, let me say up front that some people do this, but it's, rare. it's really rare. I've been sharing the gospel, like I said, for about 40 years, and 
I can count on one hand the really difficult intellectual conversations I've had about the gospel. Most people that are not Christians are not sitting around all day thinking up really complicated theological objections to the gospel. Most people are dealing with painful life circumstances like maybe the death of a child or maybe an accident that killed a friend or maybe they're dealing with the loss of a job or a broken relationship like a, like a marriage or an engagement that's not going the way they'd hoped. This is where people live. People are worried about things like how they're going to pay their bills or help their child learn to read or uh, how they're going to manage uh, uh, the home repairs that, that, that they need to get done in the context of all the other life demands they have at work and school and other places. This is where people live. Uh, people do not normally live in a world of, of highly intellectual objection to the gospel. They live in a place of pain and difficulty and struggle and turmoil and, 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 and just inner angst. And so when you share the gospel, most of the time, people are going to want to talk to you about those things. And you say, well, how do I answer those questions? Well, I answer them out of your experience because you've had the same experiences. And the gospel has made a difference in your life in these ways and, and, the, and, and your relationship with God and your relationship with, uh, with the, the gospel has helped you through those kinds of struggles. And so simply share the gospel in the context of your testimony, your life experiences, and you'll find you have all the resources needed to make a, a simple but clear presentation of the gospel. Remember, uh, most people are not uh, looking for an intellectual argument. Now, the few people that are, that's why we train apologists. That's why we train people in technical ways to answer technical questions by intellectuals who are struggling with the Christian faith. And there's always a place for that. But that's a really small minority of Christian leaders. Most of us are not going to have to face those kind of situations on a regular basis. And we just need to go about sharing the gospel and doing it in a way that connects it with the real needs of people, not what we imagine to be their objections that they're going to raise. Okay, well, number four. A fourth issue is what I call embarrassment about being a Christian. Now, sometimes it's hard to share the gospel because we don't even want to admit we're a Christian. And you say, well, we should all admit we're Christians. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I, I admit I'm one all the time, and yet sometimes, quite frankly, I'm a little embarrassed by that. Uh, when high-profile Christians are getting caught in adultery or high-profile Christians are being caught in ethical lapses, when churches are having conflicts and people in a community know that, when people that uh, have, have uh, said they're Christians uh, are abusive or difficult in relationships with my friends at work or in school or in their community or with their neighborhood, when I see other people, and occasionally I'm part of the problem too, uh, when I see Christians acting the way they sometimes do and it diminishes uh, who we are and what we stand for, it makes it harder uh, to speak the gospel. Man, I'm fully aware of this, and I'm sometimes as em I'm embarrassed to talk about the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus because of how the other followers of Jesus have been acting or because I, I know how a particular person I'm talking with has been mistreated by someone who claimed to be a Christian. But quite honestly, sometimes I'm the problem too. And I think we, we, um, we make the mistake of thinking that if we've ever, if we've ever uh, made a mistake and embarrassed ourselves as a Christian or done something that embarrassed uh, what it means to be a Christian, that we can't overcome that or uh, that people will somehow not want to hear what we have to say. You know, a number of years ago, we moved to Oregon, planted a church there. And of course, when we arrived in the community, we didn't know anyone, and we're trying to meet as many people as we can and find non-Christians to share the gospel with. And so through T-Ball, uh, our family connected with another family. And this other family was ha actually the, the head coach, and I was the assistant coach. And so at the end of the season, 
uh, we had developed a, a pretty good friendship, so much so that they invited us over to their house for like an end-of-season kind of a celebratory barbecue that we had survived T-ball together. Well, we went. You know, we were excited not only to make new friends, but also to have an opportunity to develop a witnessing relationship because, I mean, we're new church planters. We're trying to meet people. This is what we do. So we go there, and we're having the meal, and about halfway through the meal, the woman said, hey, I heard you guys moved here to plant a church, and I understand that, uh, that I, a little bit about that, but quite honestly, I, I've never met anybody that actually did that. And so, um, you know, what, what is that about? Well, this was like a great opportunity for me. I was so excited. So I just spilled out the whole story. I told about how we came, became Christians and how, we became, and how I became a pastor and how we got involved in ministry and how we felt God calling us to plant a church and how we moved across the country and why we were planting a church for the community. And, and then I just segued from there into a gospel presentation and laid it all out. And I was both excited and a little nervous, and I wasn't sure if I'd ever get another opportunity with this family, so I just put the whole thing out there for them to hear. When I finished my little mini-speech, the woman said, Wow, so you've come out here to Oregon to save all us stupid little pagans. Those are exact words, us stupid little pagans. Well, my heart sunk because I realized that in my zeal, I had way overstated the answer to the question she was asking. And I'd embarrassed myself, and I'd kind of embarrassed what it meant to be a Christian, and I certainly felt like I had driven a, a wedge between them and us instead of helped to win them over to the gospel. So I backtracked and I said, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. I'm just so excited about what we've come to do, and, and it means so much to us that I didn't want to come across as, as, as being presumptive about you or anything about you. I, I, and she said, hey, I get it. She said, I'm not, I'm not really all that offended. I... I'm just, uh, I just know that out here in the Northwest, you know, out here in Oregon that, you know, we don't do a lot of church stuff and we don't really care about that kind of thing. And uh, so I get it, but, uh, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from. Well, we, we finished up that, that uh, event that night at their house and I wondered if I'd ever even see them again. Well, I have seen them again. In fact, they turned into really good friends. Uh, we kept that relationship going. We actually coached together a few more times over the years. Our sons wound up playing high school football together. It's been a long and fruitful witnessing relationship with their family. Um, you know, there was a point in time where the woman that actually raised that question to me indicated that she had committed her life to Jesus. Now, we've lost touch with this family and moved on, and I'm not sure all that's transpired since then, but what I'm trying to emphasize here is that if you do something yourself or someone else does something that really embarrasses what it means to be a Christian or you find yourself saying something you wish you hadn't said, a good, honest apology and a good faith effort to keep their relationship going, many times will overcome the difficulty and keep the witnessing relationship alive. So finally, let me close out by saying that a fifth barrier that we sometimes create is what I call theological murkiness that leads to a practical universalism. Quite honestly, uh, many Christians are practical universalists. Now, we understand the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the Bible says it is appointed for man uh, to die for people to die once and after this judgment and we understand Jesus said I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but by me we understand all of sin judgments coming and Jesus is the only answer we understand that theologically and we even understand that biblically but practically we have a hard time living that out practically we want to say that people are essentially good Jesus is really going to take everyone to heaven 
And Jesus is not really the only way. He's just a good teacher that helped us, helps us to have a better life. When we, res- when we live out our lives in such a way that these second set of realities are what drive us, while we don't want to admit it, we've actually become practical universalists. We've become people who deny the hard truths of the gospel. Everyone sins, judgment's coming, Jesus is the only way. In favor of people are basically good, um, everybody gets to go to heaven, Jesus is a good teacher, helps us have a better life. <clears throat> I know this is hard, but if you really believe the Bible, you can't be a universalist. And if you've allowed yourself to say you believe one thing, but act like you believe another thing, you've become really a practical universalist. You may not wear the title universalist, but that's what you've actually become. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to hold a theological conviction because it creates tension. It creates difficulty. Uh, it, 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 it causes us to have to be more confrontive than some of us want to be. But the hard reality is, Theological clarity demands that we share the gospel and that we call people to come out of the life they're living into a commitment to Jesus Christ. Well, today we've talked about barriers to sharing the gospel. Frankly, most barriers that are out there are not created by non-Christians or by the world we live in. Most of the barriers are created by Christians. Uh, We are the ones who are creating the barriers that keep the gospel from flowing out of our lives into the lives of other people. So, today I want you to take those barriers down. I've given you five. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to talk about five more. But whatever it is that you're allowing to hold you back, keep you from sharing the gospel, I want you to eliminate that and become much more aggressive in sharing the gospel because it's one of the key ways that we lead on.